People pay attention to the pocketbook. And when the company's profits start declining because of something like Budweiser, that was so stupid. But when things like that happen, people speak with their wallets. Kim, have women been lied to about making money? Oh, what a great question. Um, I don't know that they've been lied to, but they've definitely been ignored. Um, I, I would say this is that, you know, none of us are taught about money in school, uh, men or women, but women actually growing up, they're not, they haven't been expected to learn about money. It's always been something that is a man thing. Um, so actually women, and still today, women are really taught to depend upon somebody else for their financial well-being, be it a husband, be it a family member, be it the government. So um, lied to, I'm not sure lied to, but they definitely have not been encouraged to learn anything about money. So that opens up three questions for me, Kim. And the first one is, um, Andrew Tate, he says what you just said, a man should be the earner and a woman should look after the home. What do you think about okay. that? Um, you know, if, 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 it's, if that's by choice, fine. But here's the, here's the problem is that the woman, whether she's going to be a homemaker or out in the, in the business world, she has to understand the money aspect of their household. Because here's what happens is, is due to, as women, especially as we get older, due to divorce or death of a spouse or just bad money or no money knowledge, a lot of women as we get older end up in a financial crisis. So if that's her choice, fine, but she has got to know what they have, where it is. Um, she's got to be responsible for her own financial future as well. Um, it's not a choice I made. I, I wanted my own money. I was crystal clear since I was very young that um, money had uh, the power to bring freedom and choices. And I knew that early on. So um, I always chose to, to be in the business world and to be an entrepreneur and to be an investor. And why isn't money taught in schools? That's a million dollar question, Rob. <laughs> That's the million dollar question. I've asked it about 600 times and I'm still trying to find the answer. <laughs> I don't know if it's by on on purpose um, or just um, they just don't want to talk about it. So <laughs> early on, we uh, when we created the cash flow board game, which is behind me, and that was actually the first product we created before Rich Dad Poor Dad. Uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad was started as a brochure to promote the cash flow board game, but early on. Um, I sent, I, I had a contact at Harvard business school, business school. So I sent them the board game and it was a woman professor. And I said, play this with some of your other professors and, and give me feedback. See, see what you think about it. And especially if you have women, cause I'd like to tap into the women's market and I don't hear from her. And so I call about two weeks later and I said, Hey, did you have a chance to play the game? And she said, Kim, um, we don't teach money at Harvard. And besides, women don't play games. And I'm like, what planet are you on? <laughs> <laughs> women are the ultimate game players on this planet. <laughs> so I don't know. We've, you know, we've attempted to give away games. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, to give games to the school system. And they basically say, if you jump through these 50 million ho hoops, we'll consider it. We're like, we're just giving them. So 
I, I don't know why, Rob, it is not taught in school. When we started the Rich Dad Company, you know, the, the purpose of an entrepreneur is to solve a problem. And so the problem we saw was that there was no financial education taught in schools globally. So we took on that task to bring financial education to whoever wanted it, which is why we have the game and books and things like that. But uh, we have we don't go to the school system anymore. It's like hitting your head against the wall. So we've had some teachers, some some principals, some parents who have brought the game to certain schools, but it's not something that that is wanted or it's definitely needed, but it's definitely not wanted by the education system, which is a shame. I think it's a shame. Um, I actually opened um, a business and entrepreneurial section of a library in a school. I'm, I wrote a UK best-selling book called Money. Yes. And the only reason I got it in that school is because it's run by an entrepreneurial woman, Catherine Burblesing. She's amazing. Um, now, I have a theory. I normally like to ask short questions, but this is going to take a little bit of context, but I'd love your thoughts on this. Okay. So my theory as to why money isn't taught in school is because maybe a small amount of banks and funds and families have a vast amount of power in the world, maybe. And so, you know, they know how to create debt. Money is debt. And they all buy real estate. Lloyds mm -hmm. Bank in the UK, BlackRock in America, gobbling up real estate for fun from essentially money that essentially they created as debt. Um, and I know you, you and certainly Robert know how that works. Um, I've spoken to Robert about it myself. And if we all knew that, then the banks maybe wouldn't be able to um, control us and get us in debt and have us paying our taxes and, you know, using us as a consumable. Um, that's a theory of mine. What do you think about that, Kim? I think that's very possible, Rob. Um, you know, I think I believe the school system originally uh, began as a place to train employees, um, to train workers. And it was basically a, a um, what's the word I want to use? Um, a, well, a, a, a place to indoctrinate employees. And I think that's how it started. And I wouldn't be surprised if for that reason, I mean, the only way banks survive is, as you said, by debt, getting people in debt. You get people in debt that don't understand money, then you have a lot of control over them, yes. And that's what's happening right now. I'm really concerned about what's happening globally with all of these um, businesses and homeowners and their interest rates are going up and they're not able to pay for it because they don't understand the basics of debt. So I wouldn't be surprised. It's like it's like the healthcare system is controlled by the pharmaceutical companies, which is money. So the families that want the workers, the, the banks that want people in debt. Um, I'll, I'll give you one story. Um, we were recruited by a woman who handles the new the rookies for the National Basketball Association here, the NBA, and she wanted us to come in and to teach these new guys about money. Because all of a sudden here are these, you know, 18, 19, young 20 year olds, all of a sudden with millions of dollars, no education with money. She said, well, I'd like you to come in and just give them the basics and, and talk about it. And so 
Robert and I were ready to do that, and we got a call, and she said, uh, "It's been it's been canceled." But who canceled it? Were the money managers of these players, not the NBA, the money managers, because they did not want these NBA players educated about money. Because then, to your point, Rob, they would have they would lose control over that that uh, golden egg, that golden goose. Mm. So. Very possible theory. I, I, I would not be surprised at all if that is what's going on behind the scenes. <laughs> so this show is called Disruptors. Is it not time this old model of running the world and a few people controlling the money, isn't it time that that gets dis- disrupted? Shouldn't it be decentralized? What do you think about that? Uh, yes, it's definitely time. It's definitely time. What's happening um, in the education system here, and I believe in the UK as well, is that the it started long before, but woke, this whole woke movement has really shaken up parents when they're actually seeing and when they saw in the classrooms when COVID happened and all the kids were online going to school, the parents were watching what was happening. So the education system here is very, is getting disrupted very much. So it really, um, it, I've, I've heard things that people are saying it's going to go so far as the, the physical classroom and professors are going to be obsolete. Because wow. kids are learning so much more online and there's all these different programs. I was talking to a friend of mine recently who has a, a program that their son uh, does online, which is much more effective and he learns what he wants to learn. So the education system, I think, is definitely going to get disrupted in terms of what's happening oh, in the world economically and with the banks. The banks, that's, that's very concerning to me, is the banks and this digital currency Um I'm I have I'm a I'm an optimist, and my optimistic self. Trying to be. <laughs> really trying hard, and it's there. It's getting more and more difficult. But my optimistic self says it's just going to get to the point where they've gone too far, and people are going to step up, and people aren't going to put up with it, and they're going to revolt back. It's happening in with the with products right now and companies that people are boycotting because they don't like where they're where these companies are going they don't like what they stand for anymore they don't like all the wokeism that's happening so it's starting it it it, you know people pay attention to the pocketbook and when the company's profits start declining because of something like budweiser (laughs) that was so stupid um but when things like that happen people speak with their people speak with their with their wallets and that's one way to that's one way we can disrupt and another is we've just got to we've got to be outspoken people there's a, a thing rob called that i heard the other day called willful willful blindness and willful blindness is when you know you just don't want to it's, it's just uncomfortable to confront these things and you know and i don't want to have to write letters and i don't want to have to go protest and i don't want to you know be seen i don't want to speak up because then i'll be you know whatever will happen to me. So people, willful blindness is they, they willfully are blind eyed to what's going on because that's easier and more comfortable. But I think in order to turn these things around, we're going to have to get very uncomfortable and either we're going to choose to be uncomfortable or it's going to come at us. And for a lot of people who are not educated and haven't taken the time to prepare um, having t- taken the time to study and research what's really happening, unfortunately, a lot of people are going to be in a world of hurt. So I want to come back to the 
speaking out in a moment. But I just want to check this with you because you slightly referenced it. Does a central bank digital currency or a global currency, does that scare you? Very, very much. Tremendously. Tremendously. Um, they've already launched in the U.S. a thing called FedNow, which is like a precursor to the, dig the central bank digital currency, CBDC. Um, people are signing up. They sell it as easy and convenient. But all it is, in my opinion, is surveillance. It's a way to control the population. They will see everything that you're buying. And people go, I don't, I, you know, I, it's okay if they see what I buy. Well, what if um, you make a campaign contribution to an opponent of those people who are running the central banks and they say, oh, Kim, you know, you just donated money to so-and-so and we don't like that. So we're not going to give you that loan. Um, we're not going to let you buy what you want to buy. And oh, by the way, you can only use, you can only take out so much money per day now. Um, it's a, in my opinion, what scares me the most, it's a way to control behavior of human beings. And I think it's, I think it would be a disaster and one of the worst things that could happen to this world. So I fully agree. And I'm fully with you in that I am very vocal on my media. Thank um, you. Resist a cashless society. Get yes. yourself educated around money. But then the issue is with this, did you call it willful blindness? Willful blindness, yes. You speak up too much. Yes. You get cancelled. You don't yes. speak up, nothing changes. Correct. Do you see the paradox? Oh, I do. Absolutely. And, and it's and it's it's going to have to, it's going to take strength and it's going to take character. People are going to have to, um, you know, if, if you want to just go along and get along, fine, but there's going to be a huge price to pay and it's your freedom. Uh, my biggest concern is how we are losing our freedoms. We're losing our rights. Um, the, the judicial system here in the U.S., I'm sure it's the same in the U.K., is um, passing passing legislation, but the administration isn't paying attention to it. They don't care. They're, they're living in their own set of rules. Uh, law here has gone out the window, um, which is very scary because our countries are countries based on laws, and that's how we keep civility. So... Um, I'm kind of going off on a tangent, but yes, I'm, 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 I'm mostly concerned about <laughs> losing our, losing our freedoms and losing our liberties. Um, and we'll do what we can to, to stop that. Now, and I appreciate, thank you for, thank you for your program, because I know a lot of people watch you and are listening and you're educating them and, uh, and they're, you're pulling their head out of the sand to see what's really going on behind the curtain. Thank you. Yeah, it's, um, it's my life's mission to help as many people on this planet get better financial knowledge. And um, it's not easy right now. It's funny because no. you were saying conversations with Robert. Well, I was having a conversation with my wife just last night when we went out for dinner. Because um, I've come off coffee, as I said to you before we went live. And so I'm having a minor existential crisis. <laughs> and um, all these doomsday thoughts. I'm like, is this Rob Moore? Or is this just coming off a coffee addiction? Uh, and I uh, said to my wife, I used to be so positive. And she said, yeah, you're so skeptical now. You think the country's over, the world's going to end. And I, I think like you, I am an optimist naturally. And, and it worries me. Have I become a skeptic? Have I let myself become a skeptic? Or did I need to because of the changing world order? I, I couldn't work out 
whether I've just grown old and leather-faced and, you know, experienced so much business ages you, or (laughs) if if it's the world and the world really has changed. Uh, Have you noticed that in yourself, a change in your optimism over the years? And is it the world or is Am I making sense? <laughs> well, you're making perfect sense because, yes, I am an optimist. And when I see what's happening, I get I get so worried and so concerned. I'm, I'm really concerned about our banking system here and worldwide. Um, the banks, they say, oh, everything's fine. Well, they're not fine. Um, and there could be a major banking collapse um, in the near future. So all I, 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 I'm with you, Rob. It's like, is... I don't want to. I don't want to go down that path of being this negative. World is about to end. Person, yet I want to be prepared for what's ever coming. So I do, you know. And and I don't even know everything that I study, whether it's true or not. I look at all. I try to look at all different points of view, um, but I find myself being drawn only to a, a certain number of points of view lately. Um, but I go, okay, so let's say this does happen. Let's say there's a banking crisis. What do I do to prepare for that? So we prepare for that. Um, what if there's a food shortage? What do, what do we do to prepare? So, so I like to prepare for kind of the worst case scenario. Hopefully it doesn't happen, but I think that's how people can best protect themselves, uh, for anything that's coming down the the pike right now. Hmm. So maybe it's more being a realist. But I'm still always going to lean towards the op- the optimistic side. It's like when people um, fall out of favor with me um, for one reason or another. I never. I just. I, they taught me a lesson. I learn a lesson from them. I thank them and I move on. I don't want to hold grudges. I don't want to. I don't want to. I just. I just want to be free to keep moving and have that energy that I need. So my next but one question is going to be a positive one. <laughs> but I've got one more negative one. Because I like, I, I like what you said about being a realist. Prepare optimistically for the worst case scenario. I imagined Correct. myself very happily skipping in my basement, stocking <laughs> up for the next food crisis. <laughs> right. So you you said about the um, banking system. So what is this banking crisis and when do you think this banking crisis could happen? Uh, Well, the banking crisis I see started with the with the um, the fall of the two major banks here in the U.S. Um, Was it Silverado, Silverado and uh, First Republic, I believe. Uh, And so what happened is when that happened, people started getting worried about their money in the bank. So there was a little bit of a run on the banks. Well, the banks hold bonds. They hold their money in, in bonds. And when that happened, they because of legislation that was passed, banks did not have to carry that much cash in their physical banks. So in order to meet this onslaught of people wanting to withdraw funds, they had to sell their bonds. Well, the interest rates were high at that time. So the bonds they held were not worth very much money because they bought them at lower interest rates and lower yields. So people wanted the higher yield bonds. So they had to sell their bonds at a loss. So that was just the start of the the domino effect. Um, But it put these banks in very precarious situations. Um, I'm seeing right now, a lot of banks aren't able to make it. And 
and the most important banks, I believe, are the are the kind of the the rural mom and pop, the ones that you know you went to for your first business loan, and they've helped you build your business, and they know you, and they know your company. Uh, my concern is, it's it may be design by design. I'm not sure if it's by design. It could be that we're going to see only like five major banks here in the U.S. And everybody's going to be banking with these five banks. Um, again, you know, you have no personal connection, and a lot of banks are are you know their businesses, and some of them I see I just concerned that they're on shaky ground, and I don't see any way that um, they will be supported by so, the so you government. Don't think they'll be bailed out. I don't think they'll be bailed out, and and to that point. I, I actually even Janet Yellen even said, oh, well, we'll decide basically who gets bailed out and who doesn't. And it sounds like the small banks are not on her list of who gets bailed out. But to that point, Rob, now there's a thing, you, and I know you know about it, called the bail-in. And this happened in Cyprus, and there's talk of it here. And so that's another concern in order if these banks start going under, they could do what's called a bail-in. So a bail-out, the government comes and, and bails you out or other big banks come and bail you out. Well, a bail in is they take your money out of your bank accounts and you bail them out and it's called a bail in. So you go to your bank and instead of having $10,000, 10,000 pounds, now you're at 2000. Well, where did it go? Oh, you just helped save your bank. So well, that's the thing why is we pay anyway, because if they're bailed out, it's the taxpayer who pays. True. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, because so, sometimes I think, I'll, I wonder sometimes if letting some of them go bust might be better so people can wise up yeah. and manage their own money. Yes, let let nature take its course. Yes. <laughs> if they've done a bad job, you know, they should it should have happened with um, all the all the um, investment banks when Lehman went under. There were others that could have gone under. They should have let them fail. Mm. Let them fail. If they're not if they're not doing the job that they need to do, let them fail. Let it re, re, restructure and and move on. I'm I'm with you. I think you got to let let the business world um, let the markets speak, and not try to control it all. So positive. <laughs> um, <laughs> on the plus side, you or you and I probably wouldn't have as much of a career if the government gave great education on money. Because yes. you and I make a living educating people about money. Um, and I'd be happy to be put out of business. If that was <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so on the flip side, you know, you've got YouTube and TikTok and a, a plethora of information and great books. And if one wants to invest in oneself and self-learn, it's easier than ever. And you can do it from a very young age. You mentioned younger people now learning to invest. So are you seeing a growth in that, in, in the positive? I am. I am. And we talked earlier. Um, I have we have Robert has so many young men coming up to him now who are investing, who are starting their own businesses, who say, you know, thank you for Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It changed my life. Um, so I'm, I'm seeing I'm seeing in young people kind of a resurgence and and a lot of a lot of them are getting fed up with what they're seeing happening right now, too. But I've always been a believer that the the savior of any country is entrepreneurship. I think that entrepreneur, small business is the way to go. And if you want real financial freedom, there's a lot more freedom 
in having your own business and a lot more security in having your own business than working for somebody else, as we all found out during COVID. So everybody thought they had these safe, secure jobs. Well, no, you don't. Um, and sorry, you're just been laid off. So I think as, as ridiculous as COVID was, and we don't have to go there. Um, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother subject. A few good things did come out of it. And one is, I think people are waking up to the idea that entrepreneurship is their path to financial freedom. I think that's very cool. Um, I like that we're able to do these interviews via Zoom now because we can reach so many more people all over the world. So I think that was a, as also a consequence of, of COVID and having to figure out other ways to do it. Um, and one thing I love about the entrepreneur, and I was talking to my team here just the other day uh, because we we're talking about um, possibly, you know, what happens in the economy if this happens, if this happens. And I'm like, one thing about our team, when adversity hits, we we shift, we shift, we shift, we figure it out. And the entrepreneur, they're good at that. You know, the school system takes that out of people. Mm. It teaches them to, you know, there's only one right answer and you got to do everything by yourself and don't make mistakes. Oh my God, don't make mistakes. Uh, that's the curse. Well, how else do we learn if we don't make mistakes? So to your question, I, I think there is a resurgence in entrepreneurship. Um, and, and investing. I mean, people are learning about investing so much younger than, than I did um, and then other than my generation did. So I am optimistic about that. And oh, one, uh, one last point, Rob, is during COVID, you know, we weren't sure what was going to happen with, with our company and, and sales and all of that. During COVID, we had record, record years because, and this gave me so much hope that people were actually buying the games and buying the books and studying at home and playing at home. They weren't just turning on you know, Netflix and watching movies all day. They were actually getting themselves educated. And that was probably the biggest positive thing for, for us that came out of this company that, um, that came out of COVID is that people actually took so much interest in their own financial education. So I wanna come back to the being an entrepreneur in a moment. In your book, Rich Women, um, you said when it comes to money, men and women are different. What are these differences? Oh, yes. Um, the how-tos of money, you know, how to, how to buy a property, how to, how to rent a property, how to buy stocks, how to buy businesses, all of that. The how-tos are the same. But what's different is how men and women were raised according to around money. So as I said earlier, you know, women have been taught more to depend upon somebody else. And so when it comes to money, they th many, many women think that they're not smart when it comes to money. Well, it's not that they're not smart, they just haven't been educated. And so I see some of the differences too in that when women do get behind this, the, their financial education and they start investing, they are fantastic because they say women are risk averse. Um, well, if, and, and I, I like that another term I heard recently was they're not risk averse, they're risk aware. So they, they understand the risk, they do their homework, they study the investment, they want that bottom line cash flow. Um, so I think in that respect, because we haven't been expected to know much about money, at some level, that's a disadvantage, but at other levels, it's an advantage because we don't have any problem asking 
somebody for a definition. We don't have a problem saying, I don't know anything about this. Can you educate me about this? Um, where sometimes guys can have a bit of an ego. I mean, we all have egos. We all have egos. But sometimes the reasons for purchasing an investment might not be just about the bottom line. So I noticed when, when you said ego, I all of a sudden went like this. I didn't mean to, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> we all have egos. Um, is it harder for women, though, because they have to raise the children? And, you know, that is a practical reality, which in the UK, it seems like you can't talk about it. And I like to talk about the things that you can't talk about because it's a practical yeah. reality. And you could be building a great career, whether you're your own business or um, employed, great career. And then, of course, you have to completely put that on hold. How can yeah. someone navigate that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, for the record, I, Robert and I chose not to have children. So people say, well, how do you, how can you answer a question about kids? Well, I've talked to a lot of my friends who have kids and who are investing and who have their own businesses. Um, and yes, I agree. It's, it is a tougher road, especially if there's kids and, and you've got a man and you also, what's happening is as parents get old, as your parents get older, usually it's the woman that is kind of the one responsible, the kind of the caregiver, not, not the husband necessarily. So I do think it's harder, um, but it's very doable. And one thing I do see with my friends who are business owners and or investors with their children, they involve their children. They involve their children in the business. They involve their children in the investments. And we have a, a, a cash flow for kids game. And somebody was saying the other day, yeah, I bought it for my kids and I learned so much. <laughs> <laughs> so they're playing the game with their kids, but they're the ones learning right along with their kids. Hmm. So, um, yeah, if I, that, that's the best um, scenario I've seen for parents, you know, single, single moms. It, it's, it's a little tougher. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, paint, gloss this over because it's a lot of responsibility. Um, what I do find, too, with women, there's a lot of good women investment networks out there. And they've been they're very, very. Um, oh, it's, it's if, if there's any shortcut to investing for women, that that could be it, because these women support each other in their financial goals. They support each other in um, getting that first deal done, their first investment done. It, it's and and you're around like minded women who are in si similar situations as you are. So I've been speaking at some of these groups lately, and it's really refreshing to see the cooperation, to see each, each other supporting and, and helping one another. Um, and I think that's one probably a, a really great resource for a lot of women. And it can be online. It can be live. It can be in person. Um, you can do it all sorts of ways. You're in a lot of debt, aren't you? <laughs> Tons. <laughs> Tons of debt, yes. But it's so good Dave debt. Ramsey, Dave mm -hmm. Ramsey says all debt is dumb. What do you okay. say to that? I say no. I say there is that. I would disagree with Dave, and I know Dave, and um, totally disagree. So, yes, as, as we talk about many times, there's, there's good debt and there's bad debt. So bad debt, yeah, I think bad debt is dumb. So bad debt is debt that you have to pay for personally. So your, your personal residence, if you have a mortgage, that's bad debt. If you have a car loan on your personal car, that's bad debt. Credit cards from department stores, that's bad debt because you have to personally pay for it. But the only way I know to get wealthy um, financially is by accumulating good debt. So good debt is mortgages on my apartment buildings, 
mortgages on my or loans on my my personal business that I that I operate that Robert and I operate um, that money makes us money so it's just leverage but you but in order to understand good debt you really have to you really have to get educated because I know a lot of people who they're like oh yeah well it's debt for my for this rental property I'm like okay what are the numbers figure out and and here's what's happening Rob as you know um, as interest rates go up that debt is getting more and more expensive and so because of that people who had a positive cash flow now are getting negative cash flows so I always go to, again to the worst case scenario here's your here's your property here's your income here are your expenses here's your net operating income here's your debt here's your cash flow positive or negative it's a very simple formula but if you don't understand debt then it can keep you very poor but if you do understand it it can make you very rich amen i agree with kim kiyosaki <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> um what are some of the best ways to make money today oh that's a great question um so we built the rich dad company on some principles and um, they come from a gentleman named r buckminster fuller he's a futurist visionary he basically he invented the geodesic dome he was an inventor um, and i won't go into the story but he was about to take his life life wasn't happening for him he was about to take his life and he had this aha and decided to dedicate his life to the betterment of humanity and what he did is he set out to discover what he called generalized principles, which are principles that are true in all cases. So for example, if I take this pen and I drop it, the, the, the principle of gravity is, is true in all cases here on planet earth. Now he didn't discover gravity, but he did discover other principles. So when we started out with the Rich Dad Company, there were two principles that we wanted to uh, build our company around. One was called ephemeralization, where, which is doing more with less. And part of that principle is the more people we serve, the more effective we become. So one of the first questions we asked is when we create this business, we want to make sure that we're serving as many people as possible. The other principle, and it's a funny name, it's called angular redundancy, um, which basically means you know we don't need another gas-powered car company. We have enough gas-powered cars and models, and that, that's redundant. So the principle behind that is, what is there out there that needs to be done that no one's doing that you could do? So if I was starting today, I would, I would look at those two principles. I would look at what is needed and wanted, and it could be just in your neighborhood. You could see it in your neighborhood. What's needed and wanted that nobody's doing that you could do? This is where some of the best inventions have come from, personal, you know, something that they, somebody wanted personally because it wasn't out there. Um, and then once you figure that out, figure out how do you how do you serve the most people possible? It's so much easier now with with the internet and the and the global web, and so much easier. Um, so th those are the two principles. And then the uh, then I would just look at trends, look at trends that are happening. Look at look at what happened during COVID. The whole trend of delivery. Everybody wanted delivery. So one thing Robert and I did at that time is we went to. The, I have a place in, in uh, South Carolina and, and next to South Carolina is Georgia, the state of Georgia, and they have a huge, huge port system. Um, so a shipping port. And we're like, everybody wants delivery. So we're like, okay, let's go look at warehouses. 
because they're going to need more warehouses. You know, there's going to be more Amazon. There's going to be more FedEx. There's going to be more everything. Um, and even then we found out we were too late to the party. And that was just at the start of COVID. But so, you know, delivery, um, education is a trend that, as we talked about, is changing. What are some trends that are happening in your neighborhood that you see different than it was? You know, doing Zoom calls is very different than we did years ago. So I, I always like to look at trends and it's not difficult. You just look out your, look out your front door uh, here in the U.S. Um, I'm glad I'm in apartment buildings because we're, we have a nation of renters. We're becoming a nation of renters. They rent everything. They rent cars. They rent houses. They rent, they rent bicycles. They rent everything. So the rental market is, you know, I just start looking at trends in your neighborhood and I think you'll see opportunities. So, Kim, looking at the outside in, I see two main ways you seem to make money. Um, investing and information. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, actually, I was, I was, it was only three weeks ago I was speaking to Robert and he was telling me about how um, he owns gold mines. Yes. Which is, a, I guess, an investment. Um, of course, real estate is an investment. And then 32 million copies of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I'm sure millions of copies of cash flow. That's essentially information. So yes. you invest and you do it and you get good at it. And then you teach other people how to do it and get good at it. And that's made you hundreds of millions of pounds. Um, we're probably the biggest in the UK, the equivalent to you. I have a company called Progressive where we buy loads of real estate. And then we teach people how to buy loads of real estate. I mean, that, from the outside looking in, that's what it looks like you do. Um, is that how you do it? And is that a good way to make money? Yeah, great question. Um, yes, yeah, so we, we started the Rich Dad Company um, back in 1996. And we, we were financially free in 1994. And people thought, well, you're financially free. You must have millions of dollars. You must have sold your company for a fortune. You must have huge stock portfolios. And we're like, no, we got none of that. We got none of that. Um, and, and also, I'm somebody that knew nothing, nothing about money, nothing at all. But all we had when we were financially free is we had, we had um, rental properties and some apartment buildings. And we had a, a cash flow, a positive cash flow of $10,000 every month. But our living expenses, because we were investing as much money as we could, our living expenses were only three thousand a month. So at that point, we're financially free. Mm. We we weren't expecting to do this, but everybody kept coming up to us and saying, you know, how'd you do it? How'd you do it? And and one step back from that, Rob, is we we had a business before that, an education company on entrepreneurship, and we built that business. And our formula was the cash flow from the business would buy our investments. Mm. So people and there's tax often breaks, tax breaks as well. Yeah. Yes, very, very, very much. <laughs> yes. And so people would ask me, they're like, well, should I build my business or should I invest? What should I do first? And I always say what we did is what we did is we built our business, the cash flow from the business bought our investments, and then the investments started self-generating their own money to invest more. Um, so in 1994, people kept asking us, what did, you know, how'd you do it? How'd you do it? And we thought, well, wouldn't it be fun since instead of us traveling all over the place and talking about it, wouldn't it be fun if we created a game, a board game of which we never did before um, and made it really simple and fun. So it kind of tricked people into learning about money. And we came up with the, the cash flow game. So it came, it was, there was business, investing, and then the investing turned into another business. Um, and we didn't plan it that way. And then, as I mentioned earlier, Robert 
started working. We launched the cash flow board game um, and we didn't have a marketing plan. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was, it, this was like, if you build it, they will come. <laughs> and so Robert started working on a brochure and he kept working on it, working on it. And the next thing you know, we have this book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I have to say, Rob, um, nobody's more surprised than the two of us at the success of that book. When you write a book, as you know, you don't know if it's going to be a bestseller or not. You're just you're putting your ideas and your thoughts and into a into a book and um, it hit a chord. It struck a chord. And we've been very grateful, very fortunate ever since. Uh, well, I think both you and Robert are underplaying it. So I'm just going to shout it out for you. Selling 32. When we when I was talking to Robert, his um, social media chap that was there, okay. got it up on 32 million copies. And Robert then said, and all the copies that the Chinese rip off of mine and don't give me any money for, it could be 50 million. I mean, that must be, that is, that's amazing. Yeah, we're pretty amazed too. <laughs> and, um, you know, people come up to us and, and especially to Robert because they recognize him and they say, you know, you, the book changed our life. And I, they first say, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry to interrupt. And we're like, no, we're glad. Please tell us, you know, it's nothing, there's no, nothing greater than having somebody appreciate and use especially use, take your information and use it and put it into, apply it, put it into practice and be successful with it. That's the greatest acknowledgement mm. you could ever get. Mm. Amen. Um, I need to put a debate to bed with you. And I, this could turn into an argument, so I'm going to warn you. <laughs> Should you rent or buy your own home and why? Um, you start. So your personal residence, that's, that's, it's not an investment. It's, it's a real personal um, endeavor. And I can tell you, I've been, personally, I was renting for several years recently. And I got tired of, the reason I bought a home is because I got tired of the landlords not making the house pretty. <laughs> I, I wanted I wanted to do things to it and, and I'm not gonna put my money into a rental house because then I leave and all that stays. So I wanted my own place where um, I could do what I want and 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 make it my own. So for that reason, um, it's a it, that's a personal reason you you have to go there. But the other reason is, and this is more on the on the financial side of things, when we when we look at investments, there's a a gap, and and I learned this from one of my um, investing partners. And he talked about when the gap between your mortgage payment on your home and renting is great, like it's a lot less to rent than to pay the mortgage, then it makes sense to rent. But when that gap is really small and there's not much difference between what you're going to pay for a mortgage and what you're going to pay for a rent, then maybe you would consider buying a house because then possibly that would give you equity and that value possibly could go up. So on the technical side, that's the argument on the more pragmatic side of things. What do you think? Um, well, I'm glad you brought in some variables, i.e. the answer is it depends. Um, at the moment in the UK, rents are really high. Yeah, here so too. So why would you spend so much on rent? 
Um, now, there are so many very big American influencers that are saying, you know, never buy your own home because it's a liability. Now, you said it's an investment. I would, it's not an investment. I, I would argue, and it might be a technicality here. I would argue that it's not an asset, technically, because it doesn't pay you money. But I would yeah. argue that it could be an investment. You raise your children be. there, you live there, all the repairs and maintenance are, going, are cap capitalizable um, and depreciable. Um, they go into adding the value uh, of the property. Um, so I would argue it's not an asset, but it could be an investment. Also, um, all, no, no one seems to say this, and I want to put this on record. Everyone says you should rent and not buy, but all rent is dead money, and mm -hmm. only some mortgage is dead money because the rest of it is paying down the house that you could own outright in 15 to 25 years, and it could have doubled or more in value or tripled in value. What do you say to that? I would say um, one, one thing people say is real estate always goes up. <laughs> well, we know that's not true. <laughs> it it, so it is in the UK. Yeah. Well, I mean, in 1952, the average house price was less than $5,000. Yeah. And now Over it's time. more than 250,000 pounds. Yes, you have that. But okay. yeah, I mean, I don't, it might be different in America, you see, because we don't, we have stricter planning and maybe less land that we can develop on. Um, but uh, I mean, in fact, you go back to 1088, all the land in the UK and the housing on it was about one million pounds in 1088. And in London, you can't get a garage for now for a million pounds. Yeah. So well, also I'm going to put it out there and say it will always go up like like money always goes up with inflation, of course. Um, yes. I think you also have to take into account the, the value of your currency. So, for example, yes. in the U.S., we've lost well over 50 percent of our value of our of our money, um, probably more than that. So you take that into account and your house, you know, may not be worth as much. But also in the long term, typically, yes, because of inflation and because of the value of the currency, um, it would go up. But I look at I look at Rob in 2007. OK, this is right before the big the big uh, real estate crash here in the U.S. Um, so we're renting, we're renting out apartments and we've got an apartment that's like $800 a month rent and people weren't qualifying for it. They couldn't qualify for it, but wow. we could go down the street and qualify for no down payment, no, um, no, um, what's the word I'm looking for? No qualifying, no, no money, no money down, no qualifying. And they walk away with a $130,000 house and a mortgage. And and we're looking at ourselves going, this is about to come, this is about to come mm. down. This mm. makes no sense. So a lot of people got hurt, but that's a yeah. short, and that's also a short-term play because we we don't buy and sell. We we buy and hold for the long term. So we did we did great at that time because there was a lot of cheap property out there to buy. Mm. And Dave Ramsey wouldn't be happy, but we got in a lot of debt. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you've raised a couple of good points there. I want to draw that out. Um, inflation. So, yeah, of course, it's all very well me saying your property might have doubled in here in the UK 10 to 15 years, but you have to adjust that to inflation. But at the same time, 
you have to adjust your living expenses with inflation and your living expenses go up, of which rent is one of them. Um, I still don't understand why I'm the only human alive that is saying that all rent is dead money. It is. All rent is dead money. It's not an part of you owning a home is paying down the mortgage and owning an asset. It, well, it'll be an asset one day. Um, oh, and what about the other thing? You know, having a house and equity, a security. Mm. Yes. You can get loans because in the yeah. UK, if you haven't, don't own your own home, you're not going to get a loan to buy a load more investments if you don't even have your own home. It's securitizable yeah. on for uh, other loans. And, you know, if you need some emergency money, you might be able to refinance your house. What about that? We've done that. We've did that many years ago. Um, there was an investment that we came across, uh, a, a great investment. Uh, it was a commercial property, and it's still one of our best performing properties today. And so we did take out a, a second mortgage on our house in order to buy it. But when we did it, we knew what the cash flow was going to be. So we knew that we could that loan was going to make us a lot more money than not taking it out. Mm. So we took out the loan bought the property, the cash flow from the property paid for the loan plus quite a bit extra. So yeah, it, that, that's, a, again, you just got to be smart. You got to know what you're yeah. doing and not put yourself in the financial um, headlock that a lot of people do because they hear, oh, debt's good. So they go get debt, but they haven't really looked at the investment and really studied it and really gone over the numbers. And again, as I said, when I look at numbers, I want to go worst case scenario. Because if a worst case scenario hits, I want to make sure I'm still okay. Mm. Well, I enjoyed now, when that. You say, when you say all rent is dead, D-E-A-D, is that what you're yeah. saying? Yeah. yeah. You're just giving it, you're just, it goes, goes nowhere. Yeah. I mean, I know people say, well, you need to live somewhere. Yeah, you do. But it's just, you're lighting up money and it's disappearing to live. Yeah. You could live. Why don't you live with your parents for another two years and, and then buy? Leave it um, up. Or why don't you buy a small room in a, a multi-let of six? instead of renting a whole apartment and then exactly. and then buy. Yeah, buy a, buy a four, four unit building, live in one, rent out the other three. That's, there you I think, go. Kim Kiyosaki a, agrees with Rob Moore. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's one of the best ways, especially for young people today. Yes. To get if once they get that a little, little bit of a down payment to, mm. to buy like a duplex, a, a threeplex, a fourplex building and um, live in it and rent the rest out. Yeah. Plus, you're going to learn a lot about property management. That is, that's the key because you're right that a lot of people who shouldn't really have been given a loan were given a loan back in, you know, pre-2008. But on the other side of it, the best way to learn how to manage good debt is to start having some good debt. And the best way to learn how to build a real estate portfolio is have a very small one. Yes, exactly. Okay, so you agree with me now. Because yes. <laughs> I always, always, always say, always say any investment, start really small, yes. start with a little money because you're going to learn so much. If I put a hundred dollars into an investment, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to pay attention to it because I, it, it's, it's how I learn. It's, I, I said, you know, start small, but you got to get in the game because yeah. once you're in the game, that's when the real education starts. Amen. Yeah. So I agree with so, you. <laughs> I have this scenario, which thousands of people have asked me and I'd love your thoughts. Let's say someone's got a bit of money to invest, but they've also got some bad debt. Should they pay off their bad debt and therefore they have no money left to invest? Or should they invest with the money that they've got and still have uh, the bad debt? It depends, but I would say if I had to choose one, I would go for the investment 
And if it's a good investment, that investment can go pay off some of the bad debt. I would rather do that. I would rather have um, an asset that is paying off the bad debt than just throwing cash at the debt because then you have nothing. So, um, and, and I know Robert wrote about it's in it's in Rich Dad Poor Dad when he wanted to buy his Porsche. Mm. And we have a rule: if you're going to buy a liability, you you have to buy an asset to pay for the liability. So we found a self storage um, property, bought it. The cash flow from that paid for the Porsche. Once the Porsche was paid off, we had the Porsche, and then we had 100% of the cash flow from the self storage. So it's not rocket science, as you know, Rob. <laughs> it's it's pretty common sense, of which is lacking in this world right now. But yes. um, yeah, it's it's not rocket science. But yes, start small, and I, you know, I'm I. They call me the queen of cash flow. I love cash flow. I'm all about cash flow. So <laughs> yes. What are Kim Kiyosaki's top investing tips? Um. As I said, start small. When you start small, get in the game. Um, you know, num okay, so numbers. I'm not a numbers person necessarily, but I've become, I love the numbers and not because of the math or anything like that, but get really, really good with numbers because numbers tell a story. I can, you, you and I, Rob, could look at the income state, the PL of a property without ever seeing the property and we could know what's going on with that property. Um, the more you understand the numbers and the more you understand the numbers, I think this, the more successful you will be people and don't believe the stories that other people are telling you. I had a, had a, Oh, I had a um, real estate broker and he was showing me a property and he's like, yeah, you can do this. You can do this and you can do that. I'm like, okay, great. I'm like, see that, those pigeons up there on the roof and they're like, their stuff is everywhere. Um, how often do you have to repaint this property and how do you get, Oh, that's not a problem. That's not a problem. I said, Oh, really? So I actually went and researched, how do you get rid of pigeons? And the answer is it's very expensive and they always come back. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so there's a, there's an issue. So, you know, don't take, think for yourself, think for yourself when you're looking at property and get into what I call a is, is, deal flow where people are sending you deals even before you start investing just you know look over an, the income and expenses of different properties and get a get i i've had mentors on everything all my life you know find somebody who's doing what you want to do if it's real estate or if it's paper assets like stocks bonds mutual funds find a mentor um, but get educated first the best investment as as you teach rob is is that is your education, your financial education. Get that financial education, then find an investment. Don't worry about, I don't have the money. Don't worry about, I don't, don't use that as an excuse. I don't have the money because I like to find the investment. Then it becomes real. And then you get really, really creative on how to find that money. I mean, our first, probably our first 12 deals, real estate properties we bought, uh, we did not have the money but you get very, very creative. So never you let the excuse, I don't have money, stop you ever, ever, because it's just <laughs> a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. You can always, you can always find it. Or, or they say, or people say, oh, when I have the money, then I'll invest. Well, you never have the money because there's always an emergency or there's something that comes up that takes your money. Um, so yeah, I would do, oh, and I do have one other tip. 
and we talk about this a lot. Um, we have a, a rule, we had a rule in our, in our household and the rule was with every single dollar, with every single pound that came into our household, no matter what, we took 30% off the top before paying any bills. My bookkeeper went crazy. She went ballistic because at that time we didn't have a lot of money coming in. We had more money going out than was coming in at that time. And I said, Betty, Betty, the bookkeeper, I said, Betty, we're going to take 30% off the top. 10% is going to go into an investing account, 10% into a savings account, and 10% into charity or tithing because that's our future. This is not our future. Paying these bills is not our future. That's our future. Well, how are you going to pay your bills? And what are we going to tell people? And you don't have enough money. And da, da, da. I'm like, we're going to figure it out. Now, now it's still now it's higher percentage. Um, there's not the the savings is only short term while we're looking for investments, um, and then there's always charity. But it's amazing how fast that money will accumulate. When we bought our first deal, part of our money came from that investing account. What are the, that was um, a very thorough explanation. Are you um are you are you a proponent of paying yourself first? I am, absolutely. <laughs> And, and absolutely. That, and that's what it is. That is paying yourself first. People mm. think paying yourself first sometimes is, oh, I'm going to go buy a new dress. I'm going to go buy a new car. No, 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 no. That's not paying yourself first. That's that's paying yourself into the poorhouse. Um, paying yourself first is when you're putting this money aside because that's going to be for your future, for your put money into your investment account. Pay yourself first. Pay yourself first before you pay anybody else. That's what that is. Yes. Mm. Huge proponent of that. What are some of the big financial mistakes? Well, what are some of the biggest financial mistakes that people make? One, I think one is, <laughs> one is they're afraid to make mistakes. So they don't start. They're so fearful. And again, going back to the school system, you know, kids come out of school scared to death of making a mistake because in school you get punished for making mistakes. You get reprimanded, you get humiliated, you get an F on your report card. Um, so they're so afraid of making a mistake that they don't start fear fear keeps them stuck and part of that fear is also you we've heard about you know analysis paralysis they they analyze a deal to the nth degree and they never end up doing it but really what it is is they're just looking for an excuse not to do the deal because they're afraid they're going to make a mistake and they might lose money or their friends might laugh at them so they never get started so you know my my very very first property it was a little two bedroom, one bath house. And I was scared to death. I'm like, what if this, what if the, what if I've done the numbers wrong? What if it doesn't cash flow? What if the, what if the roof leaks? What if the tenant moves out, which they did? Um, you know, what if all these things happen and there, and, and, and I lose money and I didn't have money to lose. Um, but it, it came for me, it just came up to this, you know, here's the, here's the, here's the line. Are you going to cross it or not cross it? because I did so much due diligence on that property. Um, and finally, I just stood, I just finally signed on the line and I, my hand was shaking when I signed because I had to come up with $5,000 down payment of which we did not have. So I think fear is probably the biggest mistake people make and letting, and I'll, I'll give you one example. Um, my mom, uh, love her to death, love her dearly. Um, so I was helping her. She had some extra money and it was her money and she wanted to invest it. So we looked at property here in Phoenix, found a great little condo, rental condo, um, did all the numbers. I walked through, we, we spent, you know, like two weeks looking at this. And then she goes back to her home in, in Oregon 
And I called, I went out of town and I come back and I call her. I said, did you, how's, how's that going? How's the deal going? She goes, oh, I decided not to do it. And I'm like, why'd you decide not to do it? Oh, cause my, my friend, um, Martha said it not to do it is too risky. I'm like, does Martha have any real estate, rental real estate? No. And I'm like, but you let her talk you out of it. So it was just, again, it was Martha's fear transferred to mom and her fear and they pulled the plug on the whole deal. So, um, yeah, I think that's the biggest mistake people make. And they take advice from people who are not investors or who are not investing in whatever they are investing in. They take advice from people that whose fear is greater than their fear. And they'll tell you every reason why not to do this deal, why it's so risky, why you're going to lose money, why you're going to make big mistakes. So at some point you have to get comfortable. You got to get comfortable with mistakes. Mistakes are how human beings learn. It's how we grow. It just, a mistake just tells us something we didn't know. Yeah. And I think if people could, if I, if there was ever any lesson I could give to people, it's to make more mistakes, make them faster, make the mistake. What's the lesson? What did I learn? Because with every mistake you get smarter. I mean, it's how we learn. We have a brand new round on the show. We're over a thousand episodes deep. Eight wow. years in the trenches. Congratulations. That's so great. <laughs> and you will be the first ever published guest of this new round. So hopefully you're excited. I'm honored. Thank you so much. I am looking forward to it. <laughs> so seeing as this show is called Disruptors, we've got a Disruptors round where I've got four questions on the theme of the show. Okay. And then after that, we'll move into the quick fire. So if you do need to leave, you can answer the questions quickly. I don't know what your time's like. Um, just giving you a heads up there. So question number one in the new disruptors round, what's the most disruptive thing you've ever done? <laughs> uh, most disruptive. I took back control of my company four years ago. Because the company, yes, the company was going in a wrong direction. The people running the company um, had had lost the mission. The mission of the Rich Dad Company is to elevate the financial well-being of humanity. Uh, we never, ever focused on the money. We always focused on the mission. Uh, people running the company at the time were focused on the money. So uh, let let them go. We, we took uh, nine, half of our employees had to let them go. Our biggest revenue generating partner, I let them go because they were also all, only about the money. And we, we and our very small team, and it's still a small team today, got back to our mission, focused on the mission, uh, focused on the cash flow game, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, cash flow clubs. That's, that's all we did. And today it's highly, highly profitable and effective. And we've got a fabulous, fabulous team. So, yeah, we shook up the entire company. And I think if we had not done that, um, there may not be a, a company today. And you know, wow. you know, Rob, when you focus on the money, that's when that's your primary focus, guess what? There's no money. It's mm. not a big enough mission. It's not a big enough why to stay in the game. It's yeah. You make decisions for the wrong reasons, in my mm. opinion. What's the biggest risk you've ever taken? Biggest risk. Um, I've had several leaps of faith. The first, the first leap of faith was when Robert and I were in Hawaii and he said, I want to go to the mainland. I want to go to California and start a business. And I'm like, let's do that. Let's do it. So we sold everything we had. We had nothing. 
got to California, uh, broke. We had money, the money we had was gone in like three months. So we were broke, homeless for a period of time. Uh, spent some nights in a beat up brown Toyota Celica, slept on people's floors. Um, that was the first leap of faith. Um, we've taken several. Um, even even with the Rich Dad company, we had no idea with the cash flow game. Let's start a company. Let's do this. No idea whether it would be successful or not. Um, and it took a, it took a, a while to build it. Um, but I think the biggest risks and it it's a it's a it's a very personal thing because I've just recently taken another leap of faith. And I don't, with a leap of faith, you don't know what the outcome's going to be. What, it's, what's your it's, recent, sorry to interrupt, what's your recent leap of faith? Uh, my recent leap of faith is, um, well, Robert and I are, are divorcing. Um, it's very amicable. Um, and I'm going to probably, I will stay with Rich Dad, but I'm going to also venture out into some other other areas. And I don't know what they are yet. But... I know it's the I know it's the right way to go. And so, you know, it's like I'm kind of letting I'm letting go of a lot of things right now and kind of trusting that I'm going to find the right path for myself. And I know I will. And I know I will. I'm excited. Um, how long had you been with Robert? I mean, that's a long, long time, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. We were together since uh, 1984, married in 1986. And uh, yeah, we just it it. it wow. It was a decision that um, it's just we kind of grew in different directions. We we're going in different directions. It's still, as I said, very amicable. We're still business partners. Um, we we talk all the time, but uh, yeah, change needed to come. Mm. Um, at the end of every episode, I do. I always ask for someone's biggest regret, and Robert said, um, "Your separation is his biggest regret." Oh, yeah. Um, that's too bad. Um, I don't have an answer for that. I don't have a response for that. That's okay. It wasn't a question. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, thank you for being so open about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, we, we, it's, I think it's important just to be transparent. Um, it happens all the time. And, we love each other. We will always love each other. And it's was just needed. It need, we needed a change. Mm. Um, what's your most disruptively brutal life lesson? Well, there's several and they all came down to not trusting myself. Um, I lost, I lost a, uh, one of the, <laughs> wow, it goes way back. I got fired from my first job out of college um, because I let other people, I didn't, I didn't trust myself to stand up for myself. Um, I lost a big real estate deal because it was big numbers and I had never done a deal that big before. And so I brought in attorneys and all these people before we even had a contract and I lost that deal because I was afraid and I didn't trust myself. And I didn't, I knew how to do a real estate deal and the numbers scared me. And I let that, I let that influence me. So the biggest mistakes I've made came out of not trusting myself. 
And I think that happens for a lot and it's, and it's all fear-based. It's just based on fear. I mean, if you can get rid of fear, if you can get rid of fear and well, I don't want to go there, but it's almost like what runs us is fear and desire. And it's either you do things sometimes out of fear and sometimes out of desire. And if you can kind of put those aside and just operate outside of that, you can be pretty, you can be a pretty happy person. <laughs> and final question in the brand new disruptors, disruptive <laughs> round. <laughs> I should be a, a game show host, shouldn't I? This is good. This is good. <laughs> the most disruptive thing anyone's ever said or done to you. Well, it's, it's a disruptor in terms of it's a, it's a motivator, but when people tell me and it, it happened with the cash flow game, it happened, um, uh, with even with a mission of our company, you can't do that. You can't do that. And I, and it infuriates me. I'm like, how dare you limit what you think I can do? And I don't even care what you think, but it's always a motivator. And people say, you can't, I can't do it. You can't do that. The disruptor is, I'm going to prove them. Yes, I can. So that is probably the worst thing somebody could say to me, but on the other side, it's the best thing they could say to me. <laughs> so we do a quick fire round. We always do the quick fire round. Um, okay. So, you know, 10, 15 second answers. Um, if you want to go on a tangent, that's totally fine, but you have permission to answer these quickly okay. if you want to. So the first one is one million cash or 1 million engaged social media followers? Which one do you take and why? Hmm. I'll take the engaged social media followers because they will generate more than a million dollars cash if we do it well. Does money make you happy? I think up to a certain level it does, but money, also, money uh, brings you comfort. Happiness comes from inside. So money can bring you comfort, money can bring you choices. Money can bring you standard of living, um, but happiness, it, I don't know. I don't think money can make you happy. Happiness is inside. And I can tell you that from personal experience. I'm a pretty happy person inside. Um, and the more money I make actually causes more problems in many cases. So more details, but um, maybe up to a certain level where you're not struggling so much for money. Um, it, that, yeah, that could bring you happiness, but above it, but above that, happiness has to come from within. What's your biggest payday? Biggest payday is this property that was my biggest mistake. I, I made the biggest mistake on, and as a result, I ended up with this property um, because I, the mistake was fear. So I, I, I lost that deal I was telling you about. Well, because I'd worked on it so long, Another deal showed up right down the street from where I lived, um, bought it, and it's we call it the property that just keeps giving. So right now we just um, we we did a ground lease on it recently, and the it's a senior housing project, and they're just starting to lease it up. And so every month we get a nice nice paycheck. But this property we still own the we still own the property, and it, every time it changes over, it just keeps giving. So. Yes. <laughs> and the biggest paydays always, Rob, come from, it comes from real estate and business. Mm. Always. For us. For us. Yeah. yeah. What's the best money advice you ever received? From my friend, Frank, who is now passed. 
He said, only lazy people use their own money. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about, Frank? And he said, I, cause I was talking about doing the next investment. And I said, but I don't have, you know, I don't have money. I'm, I'm out of money. So I'm, I'm going to have to pass on it. And he said, only lazy people. And I said, no, no, no. You work really hard. You build up your money and then you, and then you buy your property. And he said, well, don't, wouldn't you have to be a little smarter to talk to people about investing in your project? And so I started learning about other people's money. And that's a whole other subject that I'm not going to get into because you got to be super, super, super responsible with other people's money. I never, ever would take that lightly. And I don't use other people's money today very much at all. Um, but if you're a lot of people think that they can just raise money and, and do a property, you got to be a thousand times more responsible with other people's money than your own. Amen to your last statement. But I would I just have to say that's one of the best answers we've had. I think that's a brilliant answer because, <laughs> you know, I've helped people for 17 years get into real estate and they all think um, that they can't do it because they've got, you need deposits, you need money. And the people who have money, they never analyze the deal very well because they rely on the money. So they become lazy in analyzing the deal. And also they become lazy in that they don't find out where their next money is going to come from because they've got money in the bank. And then they buy a couple of real estate units and they buy them badly because they were lazy and then they've run out of money. And then they have to go and learn how to raise other people's money. Yep. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. What's the worst money advice you've ever received? I probably didn't listen to it. Um, <laughs> I think the worst advice is when people tried to talk me out of a deal, tried to talk me out of doing something. And that happened a lot because um, I talk myself out of it enough. I don't need somebody else telling me why it's not going to work. Um, I think the, the, okay, the worst money advice I received was from myself when I said, don't do that deal. <laughs> and that deal was a little tiny postage stamp right near our office here. And I'm like, and they wanted so much money for it. And I'm like, that doesn't, doesn't make any sense because the place was zoned for like three levels and, and it was small. I'm like, there's no way you can cash flow this. Cause I was thinking apartments. I was thinking residence. Well, um, there's a W hotel on that spot right now. They had a better plan. Mm. They have a better plan than I did. That's an yes. expensive non-purchase. <laughs> yes. yes, it was. Yes, it was. Somebody once told me the person with the better plan wins. They had a better plan. Mm. What's your biggest regret, Kim? Oh, boy. I, sh I don't know that I have a lot of regrets because I learned from every one of them. I, yeah, uh, my biggest regrets are like I, I remember the first time I when I was fired from my job because I didn't speak up um, and I didn't say what needed to be said. And there's times in business when I didn't say what needed to be said. And there's times in my relationship with Robert that I didn't say what needed to be said. So I think that would be one of my biggest regrets is not saying what needs to be said out of fear, out of consequences. This show is called Disruptors. What does the word disruptive mean to you? I, I see it as a very positive word, <laughs> being the optimist that I am, because we get, I, I love disruptors. I love the idea of disrupting because we get, we get in this comfort zone and we get in this rut of doing things um, and we don't ask the hard questions and we don't take action to really make something happen. 
oftentimes. So to me, a disruptor is like one of the best disruptor questions I've heard is, how did he say it? Um, what is the one thing, what is the one thing if you did today, what is the one thing if you could do today would, would change your life in the most positive, great way? What's the one thing that you could do today that would make the greatest positive impact in your life? And we ask that of our, our company and I ask that of myself. And um, yeah, it's because people don't want to go there. They don't want to be uncomfortable. So disruptors are oftentimes getting, you know, you have to get uncomfortable in order to grow, in order to, in order to blossom. I've just written that down. So <laughs> I <laughs> take some cheeky notes. I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be a professional, but I like to learn myself. I got the yeah. best seat in the house. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And of, oftentimes, you know, because you're uncomfortable, you know, you, when you put yourself in an uncomfortable position, that's where you learn the most. Mm. You know? Yeah. I, I love to, I love deadlines of something that I don't know how I'm going to do because it, you got to get smarter. Mm. Kim, where are you most active online? Where should we follow you? You know, with, you can give us some updates on what you're doing. Yeah. Um, richdad.com, uh, Instagram, I think is called the, uh, YouTube, I think is called the real, the real Kim Kiyosaki, just the little, um, Facebook is Kim Kiyosaki. Um, actually I don't, to be honest, <laughs> our team does most, does all our social media. So, um, I don't even, I mean, I'd write a lot of it, but I don't even have the, I don't have, I should have the URLs by now. But the, yeah. the one thing I would love to just mention, because we talked about it before we started, is um, we've just launched the Cashflow Game Online. It's for ah, free. For yes. Anyone can play for free. You just go to richdad.com and you click on Cashflow Plus. Um, you can play with people all over the world. You can play by yourself. You can put a group together, um, but it's all free. And we just, again, the more people we serve, the more effective we become. So we wanted to figure out how can we serve the most people at the, at the least expense. So we're very excited about it. And a lot of there's a lot of gameplay happening on it. So yeah, cashflow plus at richdad.com. Excellent. I have to say this has been the most absolute pleasure. I've loved it. Oh, me too. Me too, Rob. Thank you so much. What a great conversation. Thank you, Kim. Well, thank you for the work you're doing.